John, there was some suggestion yesterday that you weren't happy with how the last couple minutes played out. Is that an inaccurate take by people? Um, and did you say anything to um, Zach Taylor about your feelings on uh, those last couple minutes? No, I, I don't really know where that's coming from. And uh, really, not, I don't necessarily appreciate, you know, having to address, you know, there's a feeling out there kind of questions. I think that's kind of absurd. I don't know where it comes from. But uh, Zach and I had a good conversation, just like we always do. We always have good conversations. There's mutual respect there. Um, I think it's fun. You obviously weren't apologetic uh, about throwing late in the game and you wanted to get first downs and close out the game. Uh, did John Harbaugh uh, take exception to it uh, at the end of the game there? I know there's a clip of you two uh, when you shook hands and he, he at least looked uh, from my untrained eye that he, he was a little frustrated. No. It's a Monday edition of PFTPM. Merry Christmas. It is the holiday season and uh, trying to avoid the eggnog at least as long as I can. Going to sit back and enjoy the Dolphins and the Saints tonight. We'll get you ready for that later in the program. You heard the sound, though, at the top. We'll be joined by Shereen Williams, by the way, once she can actually hear me. It is the perfect mirror image to what happened this morning when I couldn't hear Mike Golick on PFT Live. And as it turned out, the wire came out of the back of my earpiece, and I didn't realize the wire was out of it. And if there is one fatal design flaw in the apparatus, it is that the wire must actually be plugged into the earpiece for it to be functional. Now I know. So it would be humorous if Shireen's earpiece was also unplugged at the root like mine was, but we'll get her sooner rather than later. We heard the Harbaugh and Taylor sound at the top of the show. Now... I love how, and and I'm not surprised, you could insert any fan base in this equation, and this is the way it would go. Whatever it is that serves the interest of the fan base, the broader interest of the team, is the version of the truth that people are going to lock on to, because they don't want to have unnecessary drama, they don't want to have unnecessary issues, they don't want to acknowledge that there was anything that happened that may be problematic for the team going forward. And there has been a percentage, not an overwhelming percentage. I think most Ravens fans understand what happened yesterday, especially if they saw the video of John Harbaugh and Zach Taylor leaving the field, meeting at the middle of the field after the Bengals dialed up a pass with two minutes left in the game. Bengals up 20 points, a 52-yard catch and run by Joe Burrow to Joe Mixon that put Burrow at 525 passing yards for the game. You can tell from the John Harbaugh demeanor and lip readers out there concur that he says something along the lines of, why did you run that play? And I've been on the other side of that John Harbaugh demeanor. I know that that is not a festive and holiday demeanor. Now, it's not threatening. It's not like he's going to punch Zach Taylor. But this is a guy who isn't happy. He's not over-the-top upset. This isn't Jonathan Allen cold-cocking Deron Payne. But Harbaugh's not happy. And I don't care what Harbaugh says about it today or after the game. And I don't care what Zach Taylor says about it today. They both said what they had to say because they're going to continue to compete in the same division. They're going to play each other twice per year. They don't want this to be an issue. And they don't want to add any fuel to it. Now, Harbaugh didn't complain about it publicly for one very important reason. He would have looked like a hypocrite because it was back in week four that he exercised the prerogative in a clear and obvious kneel down and get out of Dodge situation. He exercised the prerogative to run the ball because it was very important to him, apparently, to maintain the team's streak of consecutive games with 100 or more rushing yards. Most of us didn't even know that was a thing. Members of the Steelers, who had held the record until the Ravens actually tied it in that week four game against the Broncos, they didn't know. The two Steelers, who were the primary ball carriers for that stretch, Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, they weren't even aware it was a thing. So this isn't some, like, DiMaggio's 56-game consecutive hitting streak. And in that situation, it was clear, clear, from a safety standpoint, take the knee and call it a day. Don't run a play. Don't incur that incremental risk of injury that comes from one extra play from scrimmage that's unnecessary. Yesterday's situation, there would have been a play. It's third and four with two minutes left, 20-point game. You got to run a play there. You can't take a knee. Can't do it. So, uh... The question is, was it the right thing for the Bengals to do to throw the ball down the field? And we've talked a lot about Joe Burrow's approach to the situation. He doesn't care. But I think John Harbaugh was miffed in the moment. 
He knows he can't say anything about it. And Zach Taylor opted to take the higher road. When he was asked that question, he said, no, nothing more. Just no. And I think we know. I think we know. I think we know. And I now know that we have Shereen Williams. I want to get her take on all of this. Shereen, I don't know if you heard anything that I was saying, but we've been talking no. about the Zach Taylor-John Harbaugh interaction after the game, the things they had to say today. They both are downplaying it, as you would expect. But I really don't think anybody is buying the idea who sees that video from after the game and views it objectively and isn't vested in it as a Ravens fan who just wants to shout it down and move on because they got bigger things to worry about, and they do. I don't know how anyone who looks at that objectively can think that John Harbaugh wasn't upset. That is the miffed John Harbaugh demeanor saying plenty of people believe, why did you run that play? Well, I love it, frankly, Mike. This is so juicy because I think we have one of these old-school coaching rivalries that you and I grew up watching, you know, uh, the Jimmy Johnson, Buddy Ryan, Tom Landry, George Allen, just all those really bitter rivalries. Let's go back to 2020. There was a game last year between these two teams, and Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, yelled over at the Bengals' sideline after a late field goal. And what that field goal did was it avoided a shutout. They kicked the field goal, the Bengals did, with 32 seconds left. And Wink Martindale went nuts over that. It's only the second time since 1994 that a coach has kicked a late field goal to avoid a shutout. That's when this all started, this rivalry between the two teams. And then you you fast forward to last week when Wink Martindale said it was too early to put a gold jacket on Joe Burrow. So there is no doubt there is a bitterness in this rivalry that has developed over the last two years, and I absolutely love it because I think these two teams with the quarterbacks they have and the coaches they have are going to be going at it for the next X number of years, and this is going to be so fun to watch because they don't like each other. I think that's clear, and I'm with you. It was clear in the handshake that John Harbaugh wasn't happy with what the Bengals did, and the Bengals certainly weren't happy with the, the Ravens last year or the Ravens what they said leading up to this game either. And I think if Harbaugh hadn't already staked out his territory of all's fair in that circumstance and we can run a play if we want to in response to Vic Fangio's yeah. degree of animosity and frustration arising from the week four game, then Harbaugh could have done it. But Harbaugh knows he's smart. He's smart. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL. You don't get to be one of the best yeah. coaches in the NFL if you're not smart. He's smart enough to know he would have been hearing about it nonstop from Denver and elsewhere. All across the country, people would have been saying, oh, no, no, well, wait, now the shoe's on the other foot, and you got a problem with somebody playing the game when you, and I think, again, in their situation, it was more obvious they should have just taken a knee. The Bengals had to run a play. The question is, should they have just run the ball? But they went for the kill shot to get to 500-plus passing yards for Joe Burrow, and then they didn't try to score a touchdown. They did kill the clock there and call it a day, but they wanted that 500 yards, and they got it. So everyone's being very careful everyone's being very diplomatic because they don't want to add any fuel to that intensity that already exists. And I think you're right, Shireen. It's there. It's just kind of lurking beneath the surface when the public eyes and ears are on it. Well, not the public eyes, but at least the public ears. And it was funny because Harbaugh said, I don't know where that report came from. It came from you. It came from the way you walked off the field. It came from the way you spoke to Zach Taylor. It came from which really doesn't take a high-level degree in lip-reading. I don't even know that you can get a degree in it, but you, you don't have to be an accomplished lip-reader to figure out that Harbaugh was saying something to Taylor and motioning to the we, we Look, we, we are not stupid. We can piece it together. What else would he be upset about? Because it, it was a, a moment where you say, ha, oh, ha, ha, hmm, take that, Ravens. So uh, I, I think it's great. And I wish we had more of those old-school rivalries. I know there are some old-school football people who look down on that because it's too much like the WWE. I think it adds flavor and spice to the game when the oh, coaches yeah. mix it up and they have things to say. And Because they're the surrogates for the fans, and the fans have plenty to say. And the coaches are the ones that can, that can be that voice on behalf of the fan base. I, I wish we had a little more of that in today's NFL. Yeah, I do too. Remember Sam Weish, the old Bengals coach, yelling and getting on the PA system and saying, you don't live in Cleveland. And, and that was the kind of rivalries that we grew up with. And 
coaches are more tame now and their stints at their teams are much shorter than they used to be. But I love this because I just think it's it's going to brew uh, for the next few seasons. I would have had a bigger problem, Mike, as you pointed out. I think it was on third and four when they did this. So they're trying to run out the clock. And so if they had thrown the pass on first down, but I immediately, I texted all you guys right when it happened because that was one of my games. And I said, ooh, the Bengals just threw a deep pass. Now, my only problem with it was that was a pass to Joe Mixon. And Joe Mixon has had some injuries this year. If he gets hurt on that play, what kind of rip job are we going to be doing on Zach Taylor? Why in the world did you have Joe Mixon on the field running that route late in this game that was already decided and you get him hurt? But he didn't get hurt, so we're not talking about that. Instead, we're talking about this rivalry. But you're right. That is the risk you take. I mean, he should have been out of the game at that point. Yes, they had to run a play from scrimmage, but you're right. Mixon's been banged up. And I don't know, did they did they call Mixon's number because they thought he – he'd be able to slip past somebody that they wouldn't think in that situation he'd be running a deep route that may have had something to do with it he's more likely to get open if he takes off down the field when maybe the Ravens defensive backs are are relaxed a little bit and recognizing the game is almost completely over but it was something and something you said caught my attention I think the reason we don't have the old school coaching rivalries is because coach in part coaches don't last for a very long time head coaches as John Gruden always said, you either have been fired or you're going to be fired. There, there really are few coaches who exit a job on their own terms. And there's a broader network of owners, coaches, executives. And if you develop some sort of a blood feud with any team, that's one fewer team than you could ever work for. You never know when you're going to need a job as an assistant coach or maybe you're going to want to land somewhere as a head coach again. I mean, if John Harbaugh would ever get fired by the Ravens and the Bengals would happen to be looking for a coach at the time, you don't want John Harbaugh to be public enemy number one. I mean, it's not like the Cowboys would have ever hired Buddy Ryan after he was the Eagles coach. So I, I think <laughs> yeah. that there's a greater sensitivity to that in today's NFL, and that's one of the reasons why we don't have these rivalries because – These coaches view it as one company that has 32 departments, and you don't want to be blackballed by one of those departments because you may need to go get a transfer to that group at some point during your coaching career. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And you just look at the history of coaches, and the Steelers are the one team that have just retained their coach year after year after year. But it's not like it used to be when – Landry and Noel and and all those guys, uh, Bud Grant, were just with their teams forever, and you knew they were going to be there forever, and there was no question. Um, We didn't ask about firing them or any of that. They were just going to be there, and now it's we're talking about coaches who've won Super Bowls, and we're like, okay, it's time for that coach to move on. So it's a lot quicker now, and you're right, they switch teams a lot more than they used to. Uh, and uh, speaking of coaches switching teams more commonly than they used to, we may have an acceleration of the timetable for coaches to be fired. However, here we are at 5.16 p.m. Eastern, the yeah. day before the window opens for teams with vacancies to request permission to speak to assistant coaches from other teams. The other teams don't have to give that permission, but, but if they give it as to one team, they have to give it as to all teams. For example... Let's say that the Chiefs didn't want Eric Bieniemy to interview with the Raiders or something along those lines. Well, if they let Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, interview with the Jaguars, they have to let him interview with the Raiders. They have to let him interview with everybody. And the only teams that can seek that permission are the teams that have a vacancy or teams that have told their coaches after the season ends, you're out. So there was a chance that there would be kind of a land rush here, a domino effect. You've got two teams that already have a head start. For reasons unrelated to why these other coaches would be fired, John Gruden was not fired because of performance, and My- Urban Meyer it was combination of performance and other things. But if he was eleven and two instead of two and eleven, he'd still be with Jacksonville. These are the guys who otherwise would be the Black Monday or Black Sunday, as the case may be, because it seems like the firings happen really before we even get to the traditional day after the end of the season firing cycle. But we thought maybe they would happen today. And they have it. But they still can. And all you have to have is a vacancy by 8 a.m. tomorrow. I mean, Shereen, in theory, you could announce it tomorrow at 7.59 a.m. Eastern. And boom, start requesting permission one minute later. So it still could happen tonight. 
Although I'd like to think that if someone was going to do it, they would have done it by yeah. now. And my general thought is it will be a surprise if it happens tonight. Doesn't mean it won't happen. Hey, we, we found out a few weeks ago the best time to tuck bad news is during a game. Maybe That's it'll right. happen in the first quarter of the Saints-Dolphins game. I'm really surprised, Mike. I, I thought we would have t- at least two or three of these today just so teams could get a head start on looking for that next head coach. And maybe some privately have told their head coach, hey, we're going to move on, but we're going to you know, wait till the end of the season. And they announce tomorrow, hey, we're parting ways at the end of the season. I don't know. But I expected some today that, that we just haven't seen. I thought we would have two Black Mondays, starting with this being the first one, and we just haven't seen that. But the Raiders and Jaguars, they should be happy about this. They can get a head start and talk to these coaches and perhaps even hire a head coach before these other teams even start looking for their next head coach. It would be awkward, I think, to keep your coach for two games. It would. I think you'd yeah. want to at least give them the option to walk away. And maybe a Matt Nagy would say, now I'll just stick around and finish it out. But you know what? If I know I'm going to be out anyway, give me a two-week head start on figuring out my next move. Uh, Now, you may have a loyalty to your team and a desire to just finish the job on your terms, but especially if you've got a home game the final two weeks of the season, I I don't think that's something I'd be interested in doing if I was any of these coaches who may find out they're going to be gone after the season ends let's talk about Matt Nagy first and let's hear from Nagy talking today about his situation in Chicago remember it was about five weeks ago there was a report from a Pulitzer winner that Nagy was going to be fired after Thanksgiving it didn't happen that doesn't mean it wasn't an accurate report at the time things can change especially when plans are leaked here's Nagy on what he knows about his plans for the balance of the season we stay on the same path as far as the communication that that we have um, with George, Ted, Ryan, and myself, nothing's changed there. Um, and you know, you're every year, you're always, you know, aware of the situation of your team and players, coaches, all of that stuff. And, um, you know, we're continuing to, to move forward, um, this week and prepare for the giants. And, um, that's again, all that other stuff kind of gets into what we, what I talked about at the start of the year with that Giannis quote, of uh, worrying about the the past and the, the future, but we're in the present right now. And, and I, I and we all owe that to each other uh, for today and for this week with the Giants, and uh, and, and finishing out this week um, on a on a high note, trying to get a win, and then doing it again in the final game of the season. So to answer your question, um, nothing nothing has changed as far as communication that way. It's hardly an indication that he's going to be there for the next two games, and you know. Now, now, I want to make my general observation that I make in situations like this. It's impossible to accurately predict what dysfunctional organizations are going to do. And there is a level of dysfunction with the Bears right now from the standpoint of even considering firing a guy who's been to the playoffs twice in three years, allowing him and the rest of the current regime to trade away next year's first-round pick in order to trade up and get a quarterback and you may be looking for a new coach after only one year with that quarterback, and there's no guarantee the next coach is going to even want that quarterback. Those are the signs of a dysfunctional team. And I guess it would be dysfunctional for the Bears, for example, to know they're going to move on from Matt Nagy but not do it now, or or to know they're going to keep Matt Nagy and not come out and say it now. But uh, it, it would be nice for these guys who are clearly on the hot seat to have some sort of clarity one way or the other. And maybe the clarity is all going to be implicit. If these guys don't get fired tonight or by tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Eastern, then they're not going to be fired later. But I think it would be inherently dysfunctional for a team like the Bears that already knows what it's going to do to not go ahead and remove the Band-Aid now and start doing some of these interviews. Take advantage of the 12-day head start because your competitors are doing the same thing. Remember, Mike, when the Thanksgiving report came out before Thanksgiving that Matt Nagy was going to be fired after Thanksgiving? There was just a silence there for days before the the Bears even addressed it. And then we get, well, McCaskey has told the team that Matt Nagy will not be fired after Thanksgiving. And then, you know, we get more of Ryan Pace finally comes out the day of the game, right before the game on the radio show and says, yeah, Matt Nagy's coming back. We're not going to fire him after the Thanksgiving game, no matter what happens. So, as you said, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. 
If you're going to bring him back, I don't know why you wouldn't clear the air right now and say, hey, we're bringing him back. I think silence to me speaks what his future is. I don't think they're going to bring him back. But who knows? Because as you said, you just can't predict what dysfunctional teams are going to do. You just don't know. So if I'm Matt Nagy, I want some clarity in my situation so I can go ahead and start looking for one of these other jobs or looking for an offensive coordinator job or whatever that job's going to be. I wanted to, to go and get a head start on finding me another job. So I would want some clarity if I'm him on what my future is in Chicago. I doubt he lands somewhere else as a head coach right away, but crazier things have happened. I I, but yeah. But you want to get yourself in a position where – you're on the list of assistants when these guys are doing the interviews. Hey, here's because that's part of the process. You you create yeah. a level of confidence and just assertiveness that you you will bring these people. I have these relationships. Here's who my coordinators will be: offensive, defensive, special teams. So that's that's part of it. And if you're Neggy and you're going to be in that broader game of musical chairs to fill out these staffs, you want to know, and you'd rather get started on it sooner rather than later. And all the other details that go into moving and packing up and just all the crap that happens when you move on from one of these jobs and move to a new NFL city if you're going to continue to be in the coaching profession. Vic Fangio, who came from the Bears, he was defensive coordinator, head coach in Denver for now three seasons. Here he is from earlier today talking about his potentially – tenuous job security as he closes in on going 0 for 3 and getting the Broncos to the postseason. Do you ever worry about your uh, job status? I don't. And uh, I know you think that's a uh, standard answer, but for a lot of reasons, I I do not worry about it. And uh, those reasons are personal to me. But do I acknowledge that it's certainly out there and could happen? Absolutely. But do I worry about it? I absolutely do not worry about it for many, many reasons. And look, you gain nothing by worrying about things that you can't control. I think, Shireen, Vic Fangio is is boosted by the fact that he's got a contract for one more year and the team (laughs) is likely going to be sold before next season begins. If you go out and commit coaching money in today's market, to a new coach, four years, five years, whatever, new owner shows up and says, not my kind of guy. Sorry. You've tied the new owner's hands with a coach, and you've, you've increased the cost of buying the team, and that $50 million or whatever it would take to potentially buy out the new coach, that ends up being shared at a minimum or at worst, coming off the top of the purchase price. So there's no reason to do it if you're the Broncos. Let the next owner figure it out. And the reality is, by the time we get to March or April or whenever a deal would be done, it's going to be too late. So I think the circumstances favor Fangio getting one more year, and then he walks away without a buyout after the 2022 season, unless he's great and hits it off with the new owner, and the new owner decides to keep him. But but I, I think Fangio is sticking around in part because of those dynamics. And also, they weren't horrible this year. It would be different if they were 2-13 and 13 at this point. They're 7-8. They're and eight. Uh, and, and, and that's better than many thought they were going to be. So he, he may get one more year just because of the fact that they're not going to want to go out and commit huge money to a new coach until they know who their owner is going to be. Yeah, exactly right, Mike. And that was my same thought process. I do think he gets another year, and it'll be like Jason Garrett. You let the contract run out. If he's great, gets him to the postseason. Great, we sign you to an extension. If you don't, your contract's out. You move on. Your coaching staff moves on, and new ownership gets to hire the new coach. So I think that's how that's going to play out. They are the number one scoring defense in the league right now, and I think that speaks to how good of a defensive coordinator he is. They've got to get some offense. Every coach we're talking about on this list, they share one thing in common, and that is the quarterback situation. It's so unsettled. When you go back to the Bears, yes, they drafted Justin Fields, and they think they have that guy. They started three quarterbacks this year. Probably should have started Nick Foles the entire year, but they've played, started five quarterbacks in Matt Nagy's four seasons. You look at the Broncos. The Broncos haven't found that quarterback yet since 
Um, Peyton Manning retired, and since 2016, they've started 10 different quarterbacks, and they've tried every which way to get that quarterback in there. It hasn't worked out. If they can find that quarterback, get some scoring to go with that really good defense. They average fewer than 20 points so far this year. But if they can find that quarterback, and I think they're going to go after one of those veteran quarterbacks, and he's going to slip right in, they could be like the Broncos with Peyton Manning because the defense is good, because you have weapons on offense. So who knows, if he does stick around, Mike, and they get one of those veteran quarterbacks, this could be a coach they could hire long-term and give him an extension because I think they can be really good in a hurry if they get that quarterback. They've definitely shown signs of improvement, and quarterback is the one area where they would need to get better, and they could, and they become attractive to one of these guys who will be available. And we know that that quarterback carousel will be spinning sooner than we realize. Matt Rule, the coach in Carolina, got booed yesterday. They were chanting, fire Rule. He had some strange explanation about Jay-Z needing seven years to become an overnight success. We don't get seven years in the NFL. You're lucky to get three years in today's NFL. Here's Rule from earlier today talking about where things stand between him and an owner in David Tepper who has been very willing to pay a lot of money to have quarterbacks go away. Will he pay a lot of money to have his head coach go away? Here's Rule talking about those dynamics. Yeah, I mean, I talked to Dave today. He's been unbelievably supportive. Um, you know, all of our conversations this morning were about, you know, uh, the best thing is to do moving forward. Um, so he, he's been tremendously supportive and, and, and shown me a ton of confidence in terms of what we're doing. You know, we're certainly not where we want to be, um, but we knew, you know, we knew that this was something that was going to have to be done right. And so, um, yeah, Dave's been Dave's been nothing but great um, t- to me, and uh, I, I appreciate his confidence. Unconditional, unequivocal comment yeah. from anyone that these guys are going to be back. And and maybe maybe it's as simple as no one wants to do it two weeks early. They're saying we don't really need a head start. We'd rather have the final two weeks. We'd w- rather just dog paddle through the rest of the season and then do it in the usual time. Um, so so maybe it's it's just that simple, that, that teams don't want to break from the usual way of doing it. Or maybe they want to have the final two weeks, see how these guys do under pressure. I mean – you know, if you're on the fence, how a guy works the next couple of weeks, if your job's riding on it, well, that's the same kind of stakes as being in the playoffs, chasing the Super Bowl. You're trying to secure yourself. I don't know. I guess I guess I could see an owner wanting to to see how a coach performs in a setting like this. And if the Panthers can get a couple of wins, if they can beat the Bucks in week 18 while the Bucks are trying to nail down whatever spot they're trying to get in the playoff tree, then maybe that would be a factor in making your final decision. This guy had his back against the wall. He knew his butt was on the line, and he won two games to end the season. So there still are two more data points out there, pretty important data points that can be harvested. Well, and Mike, I don't think the seven-year mention that Matt Rule had was by coincidence because guess how long his contract is? Seven years. So I, I think that was intentional that he mentioned that, but you're right, that doesn't matter. He could go more quickly. There's one thing I want to talk about. I didn't get a chance to talk about it with you last week, but this kicking competition, remember Zane Gonzalez before last week's game got hurt in pregame warm-ups, Okay. I have a huge problem with what the Panthers did. They had a kicking competition before the game. They, they threw out, what, three or four players? It was a joke, all those players they had. My initial thought was, you don't know who your backup kicker is? Can you imagine Bill Belichick not knowing who his backup kicker was? He kicked Wes Welker in a couple games because their kicker got hurt in the same situation. But Bill Belichick knew who his backup kicker was. I think it would have been better for the Panthers not have had that kickoff that they had, the little competition thing that they had before the game, because that just shows you they were totally unprepared, had no idea who their backup kicker was. So it would have been better for them just to go into the locker room and have somebody just kick off the punter or whoever. And why the punter can't kick off, I don't know. But have somebody kick off and just not bypass field goals and extra points. But that really bothered me, Mike, because that just showed me that they were unprepared for the situation. That bothered me a lot. And if I'm the owner of the Carolina Panthers, I'm asking questions. 
It's a good point. And Belichick would go five, six, seven, eight deep with the guys on the roster yeah. who would be able to kick in the event that they have that that situation. Because there are plenty of guys out there who can do it. You need to know what those skills are before you get in a situation where you need them. Before we break, I just got to mention COVID news. And this is just part of the usual churn nowadays. Mike Evans of the Buccaneers. And he's hurt anyway, so it's not like he was going to be playing this weekend for Tampa Bay. Titans receiver Julio Jones, linebacker Bud Dupree, all three placed on COVID. Plenty of other players out there. We've got all the posts at PFT. The one thing that I continue to be fascinated by as it relates to COVID now, Shereen, because they have pivoted to focusing on guys who have symptoms and who will raise their hand and say they have symptoms. Less than two weeks ago, we were told the overwhelming majority of players who have it are asymptomatic. Now, all of a sudden, the overwhelming majority of guys who are on the COVID reserve list have symptoms. I think everybody's got it right now. I think that it's the exception. If, if that many guys are symptomatic and are raising their hand and exiting for whatever time it takes for them to be able to come back, and the CDC has now changed the minimum isolation time from yeah. 10 days to five days, that may affect the NFL as well. I have a feeling that this thing is just racing through the facilities, and maybe they're hoping to have some sort of a clumsy herd immunity that they can carry through the end of the season so they don't have to worry about it anymore, at least until next year. Well, exactly, and you, the, the Jaguars today put 10 on the list, so this is not going away over the next couple of weeks. What's going to be interesting is when we get to the postseason, is somebody going to lose a quarterback? I saw where the Colts are actually isolating their quarterbacks from each other. They're not going to be in the same room. They're not going to be around each other at practice. They have to do that because Carson Wentz is not vaccinated, as we know, as he's, he's made clear, and he's been really good at wearing that mask, but he's unvaccinated. So they're going to try to protect Carson Wentz, and that's what teams are going to have to do, especially going to the postseason. You don't want to lose your quarterback the week of a playoff game, Mike. That's going to end your chances to, to get to the Super Bowl. Hey, and you better have somebody else ready to go in the event that you need to sign yeah. a quarterback, the old quarantine quarterback concept that first came up last year having a guy that you kept away from everyone kept on his own in a safe house somewhere and Josh McCown did that for the Texans and basically you know if we ever need you you come in if the other quarterbacks get knocked out and uh, the teams that want to win in the postseason are going to be the ones that have a plan like that in place let's go ahead and take a break when we return who stays who goes We'll have some names that we didn't already mention, not just coaches. We'll take a look at whether we think they stay or go. We'll be right back. He has that it factor. He's a killer. This might be my last chance. He's called the comeback kid. He's done this before. Joe Montana, most valuable player. That looks awesome. Streaming January 6th only on Peacock. Joe Montana, cool under pressure. And Joe Montana's legend first was sparked by the catch game from the 1981 NFC Championship. I remember exactly where I was for that moment. It broke the Cowboys, Raiders, Steelers hammerlock on the NFL because for the prior 10 years and the Dolphins on the front end, it was a small handful of teams. The 49ers were that that new kid on the block. Shireen, what is your top memory? See, you, you usually get to have fun. I know. With me, with the Hail as Mary. I relive uh-huh. the Hail Mary agony, tell me what comes to mind for you when we mention Dwight Clark jumping up and making the catch yeah. from Joe Montana. Oh, this is my heartbreak. My my Hail Mary, Mike, was was this game. You know, as a kid, I was a little bit older than we were when when the Vikings lost the Hail Mary game, but. Yeah, it, it was just heartbreaking. What people forget about this game is the Cowboys got the ball back and actually hit a long pass to Drew Pearson at midfield, and he almost broke free. It, it caught him by the ankles and grabbed him down. And uh, it, it, if there had been a horse collar play, a horse collar ruling at that time, the Cowboys actually would have gotten in field goal range and would have kicked the game-winning field goal and, and the catch would have been a, a footnote in history because the Cowboys would have ended up winning that game. But 
a few years ago, many years ago now, I wrote a what if story on and got all the principles of the catch. And what if the catch hadn't been made, how history would have been changed and talked to Dwight Clark and Drew Pearson and, you know, all the principles of this game, Everson Waltz. And uh, it, it is interesting how history would have been changed had the catch not happened and how it was changed because the catch did happen. And the 49ers obviously became uh, the, the, the team of the decade because of the catch and, and what went on after that. And they still had to win the Super Bowl uh, over the Bengals, and yeah. it wasn't exactly a blowout. Some of their later Super Bowl victories were. But the two against the Bengals were close games. Now 23 was they more were. exciting than uh, 16, Super Bowl 16. We're, we're both the same age as the Super Bowl every year, right? Right? Yeah. Whatever, whatever yes. Super Bowl it is, that's how old we are. I've always kind of liked that because I never have to stop and think what Super Bowl it is. I just have to remember how exactly. old I am. So hopefully we'll be around for Super Bowl 100. The other thing about the catch, uh, and I'm looking at the Sports Illustrated cover with Everson Walls there as Dwight Clark jumps up. Yeah. Everson Walls is on two fairly iconic Super Bowl Sports Illustrated covers because it's him on the cover after yeah. the 20-19 to 19 Giants win in Super Bowl 25 with the yellow band on his hand because it was during Desert Storm. And uh, that's a happier memory for Everson Walls than with the Giants than nine years earlier when he was with the Dallas Cowboys. All right, uh, let's pivot to something, well... Happier for Shireen, but not for the people who may be going stay or go. Who should stay? Who should go for the 2022 season? Now let's start with a 49ers quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo, who has a thumb injury. Shefty says it's a lot worse than that. Uh, you know, what a warrior Jimmy G is. Better, better help his agent line up his next destination. And, uh, you know, I know that reporters don't like that when we say those things, but sometimes those things are true. So will Jimmy be there or gone next season? Well, if they get to the Super Bowl, I, I think he's got a chance to come back. But do I think the 49ers are going to do that? Absolutely not. I mean, you drafted Trey Lance. You moved up in the draft, drafted him third overall. It's time for Jimmy G to go. You've given Trey Lance a year to learn. Uh, Jimmy G has 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He can't stay healthy. This just shows yet again. And that's got to be part of your evaluation. It's, you know, people, oh, what's well, bad luck. It, it's part of the evaluation. If you can't stay on the field, Christian McCaffrey, Jimmy Garoppolo, we can keep going down the list, then, then you're not available to your team. You don't help your team win games. And especially at the quarterback position, that's just crucial. It's time for Jimmy G to go. It's time for Trey Lance in 2022 to become the 49ers starter and to figure out what he is for this team. Yeah, look, I think if he's there next year, it's an indictment of Trey Lance. You don't give – and and I know there's going to be the 49ers truthers, the, oh, well, this was the idea all along. That is too much to give up in today's NFL to sit a guy for two years. I know Aaron Rodgers sat for three years. That was a different circumstance. That was because they were dealing with a guy who couldn't make up his mind on any given day whether he wanted to play football, so they had to have a fallback position ready to go for the moment that Brett Favre finally retired. And it got to the point after three seasons where they nudged him out the door by asking him for a clear answer during a month when they knew his answer would be no if he had to give an answer. And then his answer flipped a yes in the month of the year when it would ordinarily be yes. So this is an effort by the 49ers to upgrade, and the guy they drafted isn't an upgrade. It's a failure by the 49ers, and they still may make the playoffs. They still may make the Super Bowl, but you know what? Their chances took a hit last week because Jimmy G threw yeah. two untimely interceptions. They're up 7 nothing. They get another touchdown. They're up 14 nothing. That game may be over at that point. Then it's 10-3, to and Jimmy G throws – and Kyle Shanahan tried to say it's not just on him. It's on everybody who was on the field. Everybody on the field was doing their job. Jimmy G's the guy who had a couple of bad decisions and bad throws. And uh, I, I think that if the 49ers are – and, and, oh, you hate Jimmy Garoppolo? No, I like accuracy. I like honesty. I like truthfulness. He has held them back. You can make all the excuses for him that you want. He has held them back, and there's some sort of a warped relationship there, and I feel like Kyle Shanahan needs an intervention to finally move on from Jimmy G, and uh, we'll see whether or not they do, but I think they should. Let's move on to Joe Judge. There was a report over the weekend, also from Shefty, that Joe Judge will be back as the Giants head coach, and Daniel Jones will be back as the quarterback, and if there's a new GM, what the hell is the GM going to do? The two biggest decisions have already been made for him. Should Judge be back or should he be gone, Shereen? 
I don't know why, but I just really like him, and I really think he can be a good head coach. And again, I don't know why. The, the record says there's nothing there. He's 10-21 and 21 over his two seasons, and the 31st in yards and points in the last two years and you know, at the bottom. They're just not very good, and I certainly don't think Daniel Jones is the franchise quarterback. I think they need a new quarterback, but I would like to see Joe Judge get another season. I picked the Giants to win, stupidly, to win the NFC. East. I thought they really had talent. I thought Daniel Jones was ready to take that next step. I was wrong. Maybe I'm wrong that Joe Judge should get another season, but I do think I would give him one more year just to see. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a broader philosophical discussion that needs to be had here, and it relates to the way the Giants do business. And I think the Maras yeah. are far more involved in that team than they'll ever admit because they don't want to be the ones who are skewered on the back pages of the tabloids. We know John Mara is very involved. Chris Mara, his brother, is the VP of player personnel. They've got a nephew who is in the personnel department. They aren't as obvious and open and notorious as the Joneses are, but I think they have every bit as much authority and say over what happens. Yeah. They just need to have scapegoats. And, you know, this, this apparent move to go with Kevin Abrams – which a lot of people think will happen. He'll be promoted. Well, why is a guy who's part of a bad front office getting a promotion into the job of the GM who was just fired because the personnel isn't good enough? But this is a deeper issue and a deeper problem. I'm a believer that the GM and the coach should always be on the same page. And if they're going to go out and find a GM that wants Joe Judge, that would have hired Joe Judge to be the head coach, you're limiting your universe of potential GMs and possibly not getting the best one. So I think the issue here runs far deeper than whether or not you keep Joe Judge. I think they will, but I think the best approach is for the Maras to completely get out of football, hand the keys to somebody who knows what they're doing, and stay out of the way and be super fans. They won't do that, though. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. But yeah. they're never accountable, like Jed York said five years ago. You can't fire the owner. So what can Giants fans do other than deal with it? That's the problem. And, uh, but they'd be better off, I think, if they, if they just got out of the way. Of course, they can say, hey, we've been involved for years, and we've got a couple of Super Bowls to show for it. So there. So that's, that's part of the problem, too. Even though they've had a bad 10 years before that, they weren't horrible. Mike Zimmer, eight years with the Vikings. This will be the first time he's gone two straight years without a playoff berth unless they somehow pull an inside straight and make it into the round of 14 does he stay or does he go? Should he stay or should he go? Oh, well, you know what I think of Mike Zimmer. I, I absolutely love the guy, but three postseason appearances in eight years, that's, that's tough for an owner to sit there and say, well, I'm going to give you another year. I, to me, the biggest question for this team is what are you going to do at quarterback? Because I don't know that getting a new head coach with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback is going to get you over the hump. I just don't see that happening. So if they stick with Kirk Cousins, I would stick with Mike Zimmer another year. If you're going to get you a new quarterback, then maybe you go get a new head coach, an offensive-minded coach, and, and and bring in a new quarterback to try to turn this thing around. I mean, they are close. I mean, they're one play. You look at all those games, they're one play away, and we know they've had leads in games. They just haven't been able to keep them and all that. But Three playoff appearances and a 2-3 and three record in the postseason. They had the one trip to the NFC Championship game yet to get the Super Bowl under Mike Zimmer. They need to have a run here. They need to win these two. Now, that was a killer yesterday. But they need to win these next two games and get into the postseason and maybe win a game, and, and maybe there's no decision to be made. He's coming back. I don't think that's going to happen. I do think they have a decision to make after this season. And, and look, I, I've got an issue with a defensive coach who completely abdicates responsibility of the offense, throws the keys to the coordinator. I don't like how it went down last year with Gary Kubiak waiting deep into January to retire, making it harder to replace him and setting the stage for his son to get the gig. That has always not set well with me. I, I just feel like it's time for change in Minnesota. And the problem is they've got their hands tied with Kirk Cousins, $35 million fully guaranteed next year. Yeah. So you're only going to get rid of him if you do a hot potato deal where you unload draft picks or you trade him and you pay a big chunk of that money to make him go away. So it's going to be a strange season next year in Minnesota, whether Zimmer is there or not. And I just had a thought, and it's kind of kooky, uh, and I say it somewhat facetiously. And, and it, it, would, it would make more sense if the 49ers hadn't turned around the way they had. But, man, 
There was a time eight years ago where the Browns almost traded for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, if if the 49ers would like to get out from under Kyle Shanahan's contract, maybe maybe the Vikings give him a call and say, we'll reunite you and Kirk Cousins and give the 49ers some of the draft picks back that they gave up for Trey Lance and let them move on. I say that more jokingly than seriously because I don't think the 49ers would ever go for it. But you need to have a situation where you're going to get something out of Cousins unless you're going to incur a significant financial expense or draft pick investment to get him off your roster, Shereen. Yeah, and that's the problem, Mike. I mean, he probably is your quarterback next season, and he just hasn't proved up to the – uh, up to the level that they need him to play at to get over the hump of some of these games, just not being able to hold leads and everything else that they've done this season. So I don't know what the Vikings do. I, you know, I think they've got a roster they can win with, and they've been, a, frankly, been a disappointment this season with where they are in the playoff race. They should be there with the Packers. This this game this week should be for the division championship, and it's not. They're not even close to the Packers level right now, although they beat the David- Packers. They beat the Packers, but the Packers are trying to grab the brass ring of the number one seed. It'll be a shock if the Vikings win that game on Sunday night on NBC. Temperatures are going to be down near zero. That That's the final nail, I think, for Mike Zimmer. And the Vikings are in a tough spot right now because they're not dead yet. So it would be even more awkward than usual to fire Mike Zimmer now so they can get a head start on their interviews for their next head coach. David Culley, the Texans coach, one year in. We've seen plenty of guys go one and done. Shereen, I think this one's a no-brainer. He's coming back because those comments last week from Cully about how much he hears from GM Nick Casario during games, how they communicate, what he's told to do by Casario. Casario is the puppet master. Now we know why Cully got hired. Because Cully's the guy that will let Casario pull the strings and press the buttons and basically be the coach on a shadow basis. So they've won enough games. They can keep Cully and Casario continue to play closet head coach with David Culley doing whatever Casario tells him to do. And I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. That sounds like exactly what happens. Yeah, and I was convinced that they, before those comments and everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks, that they had hired Culley just so they could get rid of him after one year, knowing they were going to be really, really bad. Well, people thought I was crazy at the beginning of the year when I set their over-under at five games five wins and they may actually get there and they pulled off the stunner yesterday they were 10 and a half point underdogs they had 18 players on COVID uh, that included Brandon Cooks and three offensive linemen and they're banged up the job that that he did he and his coaching staff did yesterday and have done over the last few weeks these rookies Brevin Jordan Davis Mills Roy Lopez they've gotten a ton out of these guys and you've just seen them get better and I'm not so certain Mike that the the Texans probably have said this wrong, but are we certain that Davis Mills is not the best quarterback in this quarterback class, in this rookie class? He has just kept getting better and better and better. And he, over the last two weeks, he's outplayed Trevor Lawrence and he's outplayed Justin Herbert. Ten touchdowns, three interceptions in the last eight games and three 300-yard games. I do think David Culley comes back for the reasons you stated and also because they've seen the development. And when they trade Deshaun Watson, they're going to have all those draft picks. This is a roster I think that they can build around. They're going to give him another year, see what they can do with the the new players that they get in there and how they develop them. I don't know that he'll be long-term there, but I do think he gets another year. They continue to be the team that couldn't tank straight because they should not be winning these games. I'm sorry. It's going to hurt their draft position for next year, although they may be building something that can carry over. Last one, very, very quickly, Cliff Kingsbury. And this assumes the free fall continues, and they finish 10-7. and Let's say they lose to the Cowboys on Sunday. Let's say they lose to the Seahawks to end the season and limp into the playoffs at 10-7 and and go one and done. Is Kingsbury out? Oh, I, I think there's a good chance he is. He's gone from coach of the year to, to on the hot seat, and it was not a coincidence when he released uh, that he was a candidate for the OU job or somebody released that he was a candidate for the OU job when he really wasn't. I think he wanted an extension one year left on that contract. I think he's in trouble, Mike, if they don't win the division and they go one and done. Yeah, you know what? I agree with you because he was in trouble going into the season, and that all died down when they started 10-2, and two, but – to have that collapse at the end of the year is not a good way to make a strong closing argument to stick around. All right, let's take a break. Please stick around. We'll get you ready for the Monday night game between the Dolphins and the Saints when PFTPM continues right after this. Awesome. 
Saints are wearing all black tonight. They want their fans to wear all black in the Superdome as they try to beat the Miami Dolphins and keep their playoffs hope alive. Reminded me of my favorite line from Walk the Line. I watched it recently on Peacock. It shows up twice in the movie. Someone says to Johnny Cash, what's with all the black? You look like you're going to a funeral. And he says, maybe I am. So maybe the Saints are. Maybe it's their own funeral tonight against the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are in if they win out. And an interesting quirk in the NFC field, if the Saints and the 49ers win out, no, sorry, Saints and Eagles win out, the 49ers are out even if they win their final two games. Everybody's kind of assumed the 49ers are locked into the sixth seed and everyone's scrambling for the seven. There's still a way that the 49ers are out altogether. But one of the keys is the Saints need to win tonight. They're down to Ian Book at quarterback. No Taysom Hill, no Trevor Simeon. 21 total players on COVID reserve. This, the Dolphins have won six in a row. Uh, who, what gives in this one? Something's got to give. Uh, is it the Saints that get the victory, or do the Dolphins continue their winning streak, Shireen? Well, it's so funny because we saw the Titans and the Colts both have tons of COVID problems, and they both came out and somehow managed to win. So I hate to say the Saints have no chance in this game starting Ian Book, but I don't think the Saints have much of a chance in this game with all the players they have on COVID. I am excited to see what Sean Payton can do with Ian Book because he took him in the fourth round, and I just I, I think he's the best offensive mind in football. He's going to have a good game plan for Ian Book, but I think the Dolphins win this one, Mike. They put up the bat signal for Drew Brees, and then when Brees decided not to do it, they called the guy who replaced Brees with the then San Diego Chargers and Phillip Rivers, and he decided not to do it either. So it's rookie Ian Book. He was a fourth-round draft pick, and we'll see. We'll see if he can come in and get it done. This is his chance. This is his moment. We'll see if he shines for the Saints tonight. I think the Dolphins will win. I had taken the Saints until they lost Taysom Hill, and I flipped to the Dolphins. Who do you think wins? I think the Dolphins win. Pretty handedly. Well, we'll tune in at 8 p.m. or thereabouts Eastern on ESPN to watch the game tonight. We'll break it down tomorrow morning on PFT Live. When we return, we'll break open the PFT PM mailbag. We'll be back with more right after this. December 27, 1964, the Browns won their most recent NFL championship, beating the Baltimore Colts 27 to nothing. Jim Brown had 27 carries, 114 yards, including a 46-yarder. But Gary Collins was the game's MVP with three touchdown catches, five receptions for 130 yards. Gate receipts were 635000 The TV money was $1.9 million. Each player on the Browns got $8,000. The Colts got 5000 That was triple the amount of the player shares in the AFL championship game that same year. So, wow. The Browns were the Browns back then, and they were the NFL champions, and it's been a long time since then for the Browns to even be close to a championship. And our question today comes from Miles A. Simmons. Yeah. I think I know him. I think yeah. he's a Browns fan. Maybe. If the Browns are to replace Baker Mayfield, would they